Good morning. Uh, we are in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And so as we read this parable of the prodigal son, would you follow along with me? Starting in verse 11, here we go. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I will perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off from the father, he saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and he asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who was devoured, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So good morning. Hi there. Thank you for taking some time to worship with us, to be with us online. At the brook, we seek to grow a people from all people passionate for God. My name is Jesse Carbo. I'm one of the pastors here at the brook, and it's my privilege to bring the message to you today. Now, when I was a senior in college, which was a really long time ago, I had contracted something called senioritis. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Uh, it was really hard to go through. I had very little energy, very little motivation to get my work done. I mean, I barely made it through graduation. You know, recently I've been having similar symptoms during all of this COVID uh, pandemic stuff. And I realized that, that I might have something I think is called covitis. Maybe you can relate. Um, you know, if you randomly find yourself singing to yourself, I'm bored in the house and I'm in the house bored, you probably have covitis. And if you're about to jump on a Zoom call 
and you're seriously debating internally with yourself whether to put pants on or even comb your hair, you probably have covitis. And if when all this quarantine stuff started, you had a health plan in place, you started eating healthy, you were walking around your neighborhood every day, but now you can't even remember the last time you stepped outside, you probably have covitis. In all seriousness though, this season has really been a roller coaster of emotions for me and I'm sure for you. And I wish that we could all be together in person so that we could spend time encouraging one another. So perhaps for just a brief moment, as we spend some time online here together, uh, my encouragement, my goal would be that you might grow in your awareness of where you are in your spiritual journey and who God is for you. I want to briefly just share with you here up front what my talking points are going to be out of this passage. There are three things that I'm going to share with you today. The first is the motivations of the heart, the message of Jesus, and the mission of God. So why don't we dive into that now? As we look at the motivations of the heart, I think it's really important that we look at the context of what's happening. Now, I only read one parable in this entire chapter of Luke 15, but there were a lot of parables that Jesus was teaching. Let's zoom out for just a moment and look at what's happening. Jesus is kind of like on this teaching tour, right? And, and, and what's happening is uh, in, in chapter 14, verse 25, we see here that it says, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and said, what happens, all these people are following Jesus. They want to hear from him. He is really getting famous in the region. His popularity is on the rise and crowds are following him. And we don't know too much about those crowds, but we are given a little bit of insight as to who might be in these crowds. In Luke chapter 15, verse one, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. So we know that part of the crowd that was there following Jesus to hear him teach, to hear him preach, were these tax collectors and sinners. Now in our culture, in our day and age, we don't really talk about tax collectors, but it's this idea that there were people who were repulsive to the religious leaders. It's this group of people that were marginalized, this group of people that were unwanted, undesired, and they were part of this crowd that was following Jesus. We also see that there was also a group of Pharisees and scribes. In Luke 15, verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so we see, essentially, a cat, three categories th that's happening as we zoom out in, in the context of what's happening in this passage. A crowd had got, gathered to follow him. Uh, tax collectors and sinners were there listening. And then there were Pharisees and scribes, basically religious leaders, professional religious people that were there uh, who, who obviously weren't very happy with what was going on. But as we zoom in to this passage, we see that Jesus used a lot of stories and parables to get his point across. In chapter 15, there's actually more than one parable. There's a parable of the lost sheep. There's a parable of the lost coin. And then the passage we just read is really the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. And we see here that in this parable, there are three characters. There's there's the man with the two sons. There's the father. Verse 11 says this for us very plainly. And he said, there was a man with two sons. And then in verse 12, we see the younger of them, of the two sons, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. So there's this character of the younger son. And then there's this character of the older son. We see that in verse 25. 
he's introduced. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, why does Jesus use these parables? Jesus is paralleling some of these characters in this parable. He's paralleling them to the true story of what's happening in the context, the crowds, the tax collectors, the Pharisees. And he's drawing some conclusions. He's beginning to reveal, he's beginning to use these stories to reveal their motivation. Now, we don't know necessarily what the motivation was for every person in the crowd, we really don't even know what the motivation was of the tax collectors and the sinners, but we do see with the Pharisees, we see very clearly because of chapter 15, verse 2, it says they grumbled. They grumbled. They had a bad attitude. They were upset. They were frustrated with Jesus. Because, why? Because he was receiving sinners and eating with them. He was doing something that they didn't like, that they didn't think was appropriate or, or righteous. And so they had a bad attitude, and we see what their motivation of their heart was. And at the very least, we can assume that because the crowds were there, there was a reason why they were there. The tax collectors and the sinners, there's a reason why they came to listen to Jesus teach. There was something they wanted to hear from him. There was something they wanted from Jesus. And I wonder this morning, what is the motivation of your heart? What is the motivation of your heart? Now, why did Jesus use parables? Why did he use these kind of stories to communicate his message? Well, I believe it's because of this. Because the message depends on the motivation. The message depends on the motivation. You know, just like we zoomed out and we looked at the motivation of the sinners versus the Pharisees, there's this idea that, okay, tax collectors and sinners were there, Pharisees were there, and even though we don't know exactly why the sinners and the tax collectors were there, we do see that the, the passage tells us that the Pharisees were grumbling. And so Jesus' message for them had something to do with their motivation, and we're going to get into that in just a moment. But we parallel this as well to, as we zoom in, to the motivation of the younger son and the older son. And as we read in the passage, we saw that the younger son, he wanted his father's things. He said, Dad, give me my inheritance now. Give me my share of the land. He just wanted to go live his own life and go do his own thing. And yet the older son, later on in the passage, he sees that when the son finally returns, he had been faithfully, obediently working in the fields, taking care of the very land that his younger brother had wastefully spent on prostitutes and, and, and foolish living. And we saw that the older brother was angry and upset. So I think we have to ask ourselves this question. If, if, if the message depends on the motivation, then what is Jesus's message? Not only what was Jesus' message for them in that day, because that, that was an actual historical event that took place. Jesus was literally standing there preaching to this crowd, and you are actually sitting there watching this video today, reading this passage with me today, and we have to ask ourselves, what is Jesus' message for us? Knowing that our motivation... That Jesus' message depends on our motivation. Let's, let's look at this a little bit. 
to the sinners and to the younger son. Again, we're paralleling. There's sinners and tax collectors that are literally there with Jesus, listening to him teach. And then Jesus tells a parable of the younger and older son with the father. Jesus' message to the sinners and the younger son is this. When you come to the end of yourself and realize your true hunger, come home and the father will feed you. But to the Pharisees and the older son, he says this, you're invited to the party. You always have been, but you will always feel like you're missing out until you surrender your self-righteous entitlement. See, for me, having grown up religious and in the church, uh, it was all too easy for me to read this passage growing up. Since I was a little kid, I've heard this story. I've read this parable so many times. I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard, how many Sunday school classes I've been in, where this passage is probably one of the most famous parables in all the Bible. And so for me, it was easy to read this and quickly dismiss the Pharisees and the older brother because as we read it, we go, yeah, yeah, that, that's, those are the bad characters of the story. But I see something here that I think we can all identify with. No matter where you see yourself in the story, no matter what your motivation is in your heart, there's something I think we can all identify with. And, and there's two things I want to share with you. The first is this, our appetite for justice. And then Jesus' arrangement for justice. So let me unpack this idea of our appetite for justice. See, personally, as I've learned this story, as, I, as I've studied this, as I've unpacked this, I actually see myself, my motivation has often been like that of the older brother. I find myself working for God, serving God, and upset when I don't get what I think I should be getting in life. I identify with the older brother in this story in so many ways. I mean, today, uh, even as a kid, I, I'd often find myself in situations where I'm calling out. Uh, if not out loud, publicly, but in my own mind, I'm calling out those things that I see that I think are wrong or unjust. Maybe you can relate to this. Selfishly, this has often been true, especially when it affects me personally. When I feel like someone else is getting a blessing, someone else is getting uh, something good that that I think they don't deserve, that it seems unjust that they're getting it, and I should be getting it. I mean, you might even be experiencing this right now because our kids are all at home. I've got four teenagers at my house, and, and we see this, and we experience this display of, uh, of our inherent need for justice daily with our kids as we're in quarantine. Maybe you hear this phrase daily, maybe hourly. It's not fair. Or why should I clean that up? I didn't make that mess. I could tell you story after story of similar conversations like this in my house where someone does something and nobody wants to take responsibility and everybody thinks it should be someone else. We all have an inherent need. We all have an appetite for justice. And the religious leaders of that day were grumbling. They were upset that Jesus, Jesus was having a meal. He was spending time with the sinners and the tax collectors. But here's, here's what I'd have us consider today, that Jesus' ministry was not really the problem. They were not upset at Jesus because Jesus was doing what Jesus would do. They were upset, I think, because they were not the center of Jesus' attention. 
Perhaps one of them may have said something like this. Why would Jesus spend time with undeserving sinners and not us, the deserving religious leaders? Similar to the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, maybe they would say something like, why did we not get a party so that we could celebrate with our friends? The older brother complained as well, just like the religious leaders were complaining because he was not at the center of the celebration for all of his hard work. So why do I share all this? I share all this to about our appetite for justice because I think it's important because in each and every one of us, I think there's an appetite for justice. But can I just share this with you? A pursuit of justice apart from Jesus leads to a system of justice that puts you at the central authority of it. Let me say that again. A pursuit of justice apart from Jesus leads to a system of justice that puts you at the central authority of it. So then we ask, what is Jesus' arrangement for justice? If we all have an appetite for justice, what is Jesus' arrangement for justice? Well, Jesus starts with the parable of the lost sheep. In chapter 15, again, he doesn't start off with this story after he heard the Pharisees and the scribes complaining and grumbling. He doesn't jump into the prodigal son. First, he starts with the story of the lost sheep. And it's a very simple parable. A shepherd loses one sheep. So he leaves the rest of those sheep behind to find the one sheep. He does find the one sheep, brings the sheep back, and he's so happy that they found the one sheep that he invites all his friends over for a party and they celebrate. Then he tells another parable of a woman who lost a silver coin. And she cleans the house and she scours everywhere looking for this coin. And she finds the coin and she's so excited, she tells her friends about it and they celebrate. Funny enough, as I was reading this parable, it's a very short part of the passage in John chapter 15. I was thinking about even this week, my wife lost her AirPods. And for 24, maybe 48 hours, we all, I mean, all five of us in the house were scouring everywhere looking for these AirPods. So valuable they were to us. We were looking everywhere. And when we finally found them, they were outside in the garden where they had fallen out of her pocket coming inside from doing groceries. However, we, we kind of celebrated when we found them. And not only that we found them, but they were still working. Thank God. Jesus is driving home the point that all of heaven will rejoice over the one that is found, over the rest of those who don't even realize that they're lost. So for Jesus, but for Jesus, true justice is the pursuit to restore to renew. The shepherd goes out to find the lost sheep. The woman diligently scours the house to find the lost coin. And the father runs to his lost son who is finally home and he throws a party. This is what generous justice, this is what gospel justice, this is what kingdom justice looks like. This is what God, what Jesus is about. His justice is about Finding those that are lost and bringing them home. Raising those that are dead and resurrecting them to new life. And then the mission of God. So we looked at the motivation of the heart. We looked at the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus depends on the motivation of your heart and then the mission of God. The mission of God. Let's look for just a moment 
in this story of the prodigal son, how we see the father reacting to the son. We spent some time talking a little bit about the older son and the younger son. We talked a little bit about the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day. We talked about the sinners and the tax collectors that were there. But let's talk about the father. The father gives to the sons his life's work, his savings, all of his land, and he gives it to them prematurely. In other words, he lives from that day forward as if he were dead. Because normally, the father would not give all of these resources, all of his possessions, to his sons until after he had died. But because the younger son had asked for his part of the possessions, for his part of the inheritance, the father had to make a conscious decision to say, so you want me to give to you that which you should get after I'm dead, and so you basically are looking at me as if I'm dead. But the father willingly gives it to him, even though he's still alive. That is, he's willingly sacrificing everything to his children at his own expense. And to add more drama to this, to add more drama to this parable that Jesus is telling, when the younger son returns, he does not incite wrath upon his son, but love and grace. Because for him, the value of having his son home again was greater than the wealth, the land, the possessions that his son had so foolishly wasted in the world. This is the posture of a pursuing father. This is the mission of God. This is the mission of God, to pursue his lost children, to pursue his lost children. And the need for justice, because I think we could all agree, if we're honest, that this was woefully wrong. This was very bad for a son to take advantage of his father, for a son to treat his father as if he was dead, and then to, I mean, maybe he could have taken the inheritance and invested it and, and invented a, an amazing product and made millions of dollars and proven to his father that he was better than him or something, but, but it wasn't even anything like that. It was he woefully, foolishly spent all of the inheritance and came back on his knees begging to just be a servant not even looking to be restored in his relationship to his father. He was just looking for a safe place where he could live and eat. And yet the father so scandalously runs out to him, embraces this younger son, and throws a party for him, puts a coat on him, he doesn't just give him a safe place to live. He doesn't just give him food for his belly. He restores the relationship. Even though the son, the younger son, didn't know, didn't have the words, didn't have the right statement or phrase, the father, the father only needed for the son to acknowledge his need. The father only needed for the son to acknowledge his need and to come home. And so when the son came home, the father threw a party. The father celebrated over him because once he was dead and now he's alive. Once he was lost and now he is found. But the older son had a very different 
perspective. He stayed home. He worked. He was obedient. He was faithful. In his eyes, he was righteous. And yet, what's so interesting to me is that as we look at this passage, even though the actions are so different, the actions are so different in many ways, the heart was the same. The heart of the younger son, as he asked his father for his inheritance, and the heart of the older son, who stayed home so faithfully and diligently, serving the land and, and, and being faithful and obedient to his, to his task and his roles there. Even though their actions were very different, the heart was the same. They both wanted the father's things more than they wanted the father himself. And yet the father knowing this, the father being fully aware that his boys, his children, that he had, he had spent his life raising, they loved his things more than they loved him. And yet he willingly gave up those things for his kids to have. I, I find that this is both a grace and it's the way that he helps us to get to the end of ourselves. Seeing that only in a relationship with him can we fully satisfy, be fully restored, and be fully renewed. It's when our father can ultimately renew that piece of creation in each one of us that we can finally experience all that we're longing for. I mean, simply put, look, look at the narrative of the Bible. If you've ever studied the Bible, if you know, and if you've never done that, maybe there's a great time during quarantine to take some time to just read the Bible from cover to cover. But as you look at the entire narrative of the Bible, we start off with the story of creation. God makes the world. He makes all these beautiful things. But of his most prized possession, he makes man and woman. He makes Adam and Eve. And he walks with such deep and beautiful intimacy in the garden with them. He even says it's not good for men to be alone. So he makes Eve and, and, and he walks with them in the garden and he has intimate relationship with his children. But there comes this moment where something else, something else is appealing to Adam and Eve. Something else is appealing to man. And in that moment, they think that that thing that is appealing to them in that moment is better than the intimacy is more fulfilling, it's more satisfying than the relationship that they have with their father, with God. See, this is the essence of sin, the essence of sin, choosing that which is not true and right for something that is broken and corrupt. So God, because he is the Holy Father, is just and loving. And this is such a difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around. But this idea that in God's holiness, he is just and loving. He makes a way for us to restore our relationship. And so through Jesus, his only son, he places all of the wrath that you and I deserve. And Jesus receives the punishment that you and I should have taken. And because of that, because of that, we can come home. We can come home if we're willing to recognize our need. If we're really willing to recognize our need. God gave up his son, Jesus, for our sake. This single act of justice, satisfied in Christ, is the greatest act of love anyone in the universe has ever shown. And yet the challenge as we look at this passage, as the 
Pharisees are standing there looking at what Jesus is doing, how he's spending time with tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus tells these three parables and he, and he kind of lands on this, this famous parable of the prodigal son. He's looking at the two, the two people and maybe he's looking at you and me right now and he's saying, are you like the sinners who recognize their need and their hunger? Or are you like the Pharisees? Are you like the religious leaders of that day who in their own self-righteous entitlement only wanted what Jesus could do for them, they didn't want Jesus himself. This is actually the thing I think we all face in humanity. Do we really want God? Or do we want what God can do for us? To understand it, to receive it, to benefit from it, you have to see your need for it. Otherwise, I think it will just seem ludicrous to you. And for many, this gospel, this truth, seems incredibly ludicrous. It seems, it seems crazy. It seems illogical. But if you like the younger son, like the tax collectors and sinners, can see your need. You know, Jesus said in, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. When we look at scripture, we see that the kingdom is available to those that see their need and to children. It is not dependent on your spiritual prowess. It's not dependent on how good of a person you think you might be compared to the person who lives next to you. All of it is dependent on how much you see your need for a savior, for a father who so desperately wants to renew and restore his relationship with you. And that restoration, that renewal comes by his work, not your work. And his work was accomplished through his son, Jesus, on the cross. Connect with us at the brook. Reach out to us so that we can continue this conversation with you, if you're willing. But I want to take a moment now, and I know that you might be watching this on Sunday morning as this airs. You might be watching this the next day. You might be watching this a year from now. I don't know. My hope and my prayer that whoever watches this would see their need to renew and reconnect the relationship with their father, and that your Father in heaven has already made it possible. There's nothing left for you to do except to recognize your need for it. And in that, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we come before you now asking that whoever's watching this, wherever they're at in their spiritual journey, Lord, that you would reveal to us our need for you. Just like the younger son who realized he had a need to come back home. And Lord, he didn't fully realize, he didn't fully recognize his need. But he knew enough, he knew enough of his need that he was going to starve to death if he didn't come home to his father. And then when we come home, we see that you are gracious, you are loving, that all of the wrath that we deserve has already been expelled, has already been put on your son Jesus. And because of that, we have grace, we have mercy. And Lord, for those of us that are struggling with our own self-righteousness, for those of us that feel like we deserve more than we get, 
that maybe we don't see our need for you, Lord. Lord, thank you that just like the father, he goes out to the older son and he pleads with him to come home, to come back to the house and to celebrate. Lord, I plead now that through your Holy Spirit, that you would do the work necessary in those whose self-righteousness gets in the way of seeing their spiritual poverty, of seeing their need, so that then, once and for all, their true desire would be ultimately satisfied, not because they get your things, but because ultimately they get you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.